I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. on Vinyl Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klom. My guest this week, from England, Nigel Planer. Thank you so much for doing the show. Hello. Hello. Hi. It's a pleasure. I don't know if this has happened before in this direct or quick a manner that we've talked about someone's work on the show and then had the opportunity to actually speak with them on the show. Um, so we, we were talking before we, we got going about Neil's Heavy Concept album. I mentioned Bad News. I... Let's talk first about music and comedy. Is that someplace you ever saw yourself going? Like, what was your history that led up to that being something you you actually put so much time into? Um, well, I was uh, I was always doing uh, writing and comedy and, and theater and acting from an early age as a child. Um, but when I got to be a teenager, I started to do music as well and, you know, got a guitar, gave up my guitar lessons and started making songs. And and so the music and the comedy, they've always gone hand in hand with, with a lot of people, I think. A lot of comedians, you know, music and comedy seem to go hand in hand, which is strange because, as we were saying earlier, when, when music is uh, winning, usually uh, comedy isn't. And when comedy is winning in, in any particular song or spoof um the music isn't you know they do compete with each other yeah for for attention and is that when did you first learn to find the balance i guess um well that i think that the time we achieved it best was with the neil's heavy concept album yeah um we we put out a single hole in my shoe Uh and uh, (laughs) i did it with dave stewart and Barbara Gaskin. Uh, that's not Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. It's Dave Stewart of Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin. Uh-huh. Um, and the, he was he was very insistent on the you know the quality of the music. He's a he was a, an ace uh, record producer, mm-hmm. and we wanted to have uh, a proper hit that would be musically like a proper hit. So we kept the beat going throughout, even the the, the sort of comedy talking bit in the middle we kept that beat going and uh, the single was such a success that we got to make the album yeah um and yeah throughout the 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 balance i feel is just about right because a lot of comedy uh, music stuff uh you know the music can just be uh, quite trite to to just get the jokes out mm-hmm and if the if the dramatic music takes over too much, um, then of course you lose the jokes. I mean, there's something like Hurdy Gurdy Man on there, the, our version of of um, Donovan's Hurdy Gurdy Man. Uh-huh. That's not not Hurdy Gurdy Mushroom Man, which is also on there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is uh, uh, the the comedy wins Hurdy Gurdy Mushroom Man. Sure. But uh, our our version of Hurdy Gurdy Man. It, it, it's got Neil in there going, oh, wow, this is lovely, you know, and mm-hmm. all of that. So there is a, there is an element of comedy. In yeah. There. But musically, it's pretty damn good, and that's down to Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin. Um, it, musically, it's, I, I think, I dare to say, almost a, a, 
a fuller version than the Donovan version. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very satisfying musically, that Hurdy-Gurdy Man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which is, it's actually, I I love that that happened, but I think I'm so used to what you're talking about, that competition, that your the album threw me at first because I was like, way, I, I didn't know how to feel about it. I liked it, but I was definitely almost torn because, again, music was so good, but also it was perfectly, you know, perfectly uh, orchestrated in terms of the comedy that I was just, I didn't know how to feel about the album other than I like this, but I don't know what this, I think I just tried too hard to label it in my brain rather than just let it happen. Yeah, I think um, that's uh, a situation I end up in a lot of the time, not just with music. Uh I had another character after Neil uh, who is we we made a spoof actor, you know, a, a stage actor who takes himself very seriously, British actor. Uh-huh. Um, he we we called him Nicholas Craig, uh-huh. and he wrote his biography. We did it all as if it was real. Mm-hmm. He wrote his biography. I an actor, <laughs> another great, another great actor explores himself, <laughs> um, and it's. It's full of loads of photographs, and it's very, very pretentious. And we got a radio series and two or three uh, television uh, escapades with it. And it's very much a stunt character where we're taking the piss out of the the way the media treats actors so reverentially. Yeah. And um, uh, out of that character, when the book came out, it, it was difficult to know for the for the bookshops, what shelf to put it on? Do they put it in the humor section where it didn't look like a comedy book? It looked like a serious book of theater. Right. Uh, or do they put it in the theater section where people would say, well, who's Nicholas Craig? I've never heard of him. <laughs> um, and we did uh, eventually, I mean, it was, it was a, a long running uh, success in terms of the character did a one man show and he became sort of part of the, established commentariat as it were uh-huh. and um i bumped into somebody who's a, a a drama teacher at rada you know the 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 sort of top drama school in this country mm-hmm. um the royal academy of dramatic art and he said oh you're nicholas craig we use your book to t- teach the students <laughs> um so they they <laughs> And he knew it's a it's a comedy spoof, but good, um, good. there's more fun and more uh, more truth in it than in a many many of the actor manuals, you know, in the oh actor books. Oh my book. god, that's wonderful! Um, and so it's a this sort of it's a thin line between where do you label things? Yeah, I get I get frustrated when things are labeled just under comedy because there's an expectation then that it will be. Um, some kind of two-dimensional that it won't have anything more than just the next joke yes right and and shows and books and uh tv shows and things that just have that little bit more than that yeah are, are really uh, where i'd like to exist you have to do you it know, just where right like, where i'm happiest you have to be do it just right where you have to be so dry you have to be dry enough to be believable but also you hope that your audience is savvy enough that oh that was a joke that was clearly not a real thing it's a hard balance exactly exactly um and just now i've just come back off a tour 
of a play that I've written with Adrian Edmondson, actually, uh-huh. uh, the guy who played Vivian in The Young Ones. Uh-huh. We got to back together all the, after all these years, and we wrote a play called Vulcan 7. Uh-huh. To, it's about two bitter old actors in a Winnebago, you know, in a, in a trailer uh-huh. on the side of a volcano in Iceland. <laughs> and they're filming the seventh film in the series of Vulcan films, which is like uh, we've imagined, uh, like, a, like the Marvel films or something like that. Okay. One of them has to wear prosthetics. The other one plays Vulcan's butler. <laughs> and they're stuck there. There's a, the, the volcano erupts and they're stuck there in the trailer. They hate each other. They went to college together. They still hate each other after all these years. But there's one other character, which is the runner, uh, Leela, who may or may not be one of their daughters. And this is what the, the play starts to unfold. <laughs> but we've just done it on tour for eight weeks. And we, we've, we've gradually managed. There's an expectation. It's going to be funny. It's me and Adrian. So it's going to be, there's going to be jokes. And... It is funny through to the end, but people were coming away very surprised because at the end, it's like, uh, it's very sad. It's a, it's a sort of, there's moment of sort of existential realization they have. One, one critic said, oh, it's like a funny version of Waiting for Godot for Generation X. Uh-huh. Because we're stuck in this trailer and we, it, it becomes almost surreal. Yeah. And I like that. It becomes like a proper play, like a drama, even though you're still laughing at these guys. Sure. And they're still fighting. But it 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 really packed a, a, a an emotional punch as well, a dramatic punch. Yeah. God. And, you know, that's my favorite thing. I like the writer um, McDonough, you know, is it Martin McDonough? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. He wrote uh, Three Billboards. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing where you've got a serious story, but there's some big laughs in it. Yeah. You know, that's that's my kind of favorite thing, really. Is there, I mean, does uh, how does that come through in your performance? And I, I ask that only because you, you, and I think this is more of a UK thing where you have the opportunity to take a character you've created for something and do it in other places and sometimes do it live and sometimes, you know, write a book and or do an album as it. That that's a thing you don't get that often here. So I'm curious if if that balance works its way into that work. Yeah, I do you know, I think that you say we can do that in the UK. I think that was a thing that apart from say Barry Humphreys, mm-hmm. you know, who did Dame Edna Everidge, the Australian. Yes. I don't know if you get that over there. Yeah. Um apart from him, I can't think of any precedents. For, for guys doing that. Oh, you had um, you had Pee Wee Herman. Didn't that's you? true. That's true. Good call. That 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 um, that might be the one exception. Well, no, there are probably others, but it's yeah. the, there are more standout English ones to me. And maybe it's because I yeah. get obsessed with English comedy. But you know, oh, it could be. Um, but I also think that there was a period from the mid '80s through to maybe about ten years ago where. The work we were doing, Rick Mail was doing that. I was doing that. Um, we were all there was a sort of fashion that 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 we sort of not created, but you know we drove it. Um, 
to do exactly that. So when we did bad news, we went on as bad news onto the BBC chat show. Yeah. Um, in character. We, and Nicholas Craig, the character I was telling you about just now, he could go onto real radio interviews. Neil used to do that. I used to do that as Neil. Mm -hmm. I'd go, go out to promote the show. I wouldn't, I would be billed as Neil, not Nigel. And I'd it. go out on radio interviews, which made it difficult when they said, oh, you're you're in this successful TV show, The Young Ones. Mm -hmm. And of course, Neil, Neil, the character would say, what's that? You know, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm a student. <sighs> um, but uh, I, I'm not so sure that it's a normal thing in the UK. I think it was a, a kind of stunt that we all rather enjoyed pulling and i'm not so sure if it's so easy to do that now to actually take a character through the different media like that right yeah maybe the only other english the one that i can think of at the moment is alan partridge and again they i think they're oh, just yes. so stand out you know maybe that's just it they stand out more uh, but yeah but does alan partridge actually i mean we used to write book reviews uh -huh. as nicholas Craig, <laughs> you know, like it's like pulling stunts. Yeah. Um, so when when the book of the actor book first came out, we got a very scathing review from one newspaper that said this could almost be a send up of a theatrical biography. <laughs> oh, my God. So we we covered our tracks uh, that well. <laughs> if you see what I mean. I do. Oh, that's amazing. I, I won't I can't compare my own experience to that, but I will say I've been running a fake presidential campaign now for fourteen years. <laughs> and early on there are a couple people who emailed me and my character is intentionally um <clears throat> depending on what question you question you ask him, he's either incredibly conservative or incredibly liberal. Turns out he's just trying to satisfy everybody. And I had people write me and yeah. say well, what, what's your position on this issue? I can't quite get a beat on it. And I had to write back and just be like, I, I, I couldn't keep up the facade for that long. And I had to say, no, this is a joke. Please don't take me seriously. I don't want <laughs> I don't want to be assassinated eventually. So please don't think that I'm real. Yeah. yeah or, so or, it's... Or, get, or get elected. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that would be. <laughs> it, it couldn't be much worse than it is now, though, to be fair. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, I, I just love the idea of taking these characters into all these different places, especially taking yeah. um, Neil. Now, I mean, obviously, there's uh, the, the young ones is, is the, the success of the young ones is a good reason to, to do that. Would, would you have done the heavy concept album with another character anyway? Or w was there something about Neil that made you want to do it? Well, uh, I mean... As I said, I was involved in also. I was writing songs. We had a little project called Rain Smoke, uh -huh. me and my brother, uh, which was again half satirical, but half actually heartfelt mm -hmm. uh, of kind of eighties songs. Uh, sorry, seventies songs uh, that I'd written when I was younger, um, which were sort of in the in the realm of. I don't know if you've heard Nick Drake albums ever does that name really yes I, I i i'm gonna say a couple songs i'm not gonna say that i've necessarily heard a ton of them but right uh nick drake who else well donovan is another one sure sort of 1970s stoned folk jazz mm -hmm. sort of music and um 
we were busy making all of those songs and in a semi-satirical way. Um, and I'd always wanted to, uh, you know, you, you always, a teenager, you always fancy yourself as a rock star or a pop star or a songwriter or something. Um, and I was, I just got very lucky in that the character of Neil lent itself to having a hit single and doing on this music career. Neil had a more successful musical career than me. Mm. And, um, but also it gave me the opportunity to try out what the consequences of that, you know, career choice, what that lifestyle would actually be. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, a year was enough. Right. Because you, it's, um, I'm very glad I managed to, have that experience with a wig on um, in a totally different character from myself and realized that it it, um, it wasn't for me that I wouldn't actually enjoy being a pop star or a rock star. It, would, it really would be a horrible lifestyle. Yeah. That's, uh... So unless you, you know, unless you are a seriously talented songwriter um, and musician, I, I don't see the point of going into that. Right. Yeah, it's nice being able to have that as a little, uh, just a little piece of your life rather than that you could get step away from, uh, and, yeah. and also do it with comedy at the same time. That's pretty wonderful. Yeah, you can nip into places, see what it's like, and then not take the consequences. I suppose that's what actors do, isn't it? You know, if you think of them, I'm playing a boxer now, so I'm training up to be. I'm, I, I get a feel of what it might be like mm-hmm. if I'd been a boxer. Um, but I don't have to actually have the brain damage. <laughs> no, I don't actually, I don't actually have to take the consequences of my decisions. <laughs> um, has anybody? I, I, I do, again, I don't know how if this kind of thing happens, uh, especially since not all the young ones are with us anymore. But have people asked you to try and revive the character? I'm curious because it seems like a kind of thing people would do. It's um. It's often been uh, asked, you know, why don't you do it again? And where would they be now? And, you know, we reckoned uh, Vivian, Adrian's character, would be a gynecologist by now. (laughs) Um, Neil would probably be running a perfume range of whole earth perfumes turned (laughs) into a real breadhead, (laughs) uh, but still claim to be, you know, the moral high ground. Sure. (laughs) And uh, Rick would be a bank clerk, and um, Mike would be in prison. <laughs> um, but no, we. It was never really a serious idea to get. I mean, I think it would look a bit sad, and I think <laughs> the general feeling was move forwards, onwards, upwards. Uh-huh. So I mean, there are elements in, for instance, in the play I've just done with Adrian. Obviously, when the two of us are on stage, there's elements where the timing is the same. You can recognize. And we're playing older actors, mm-hmm. but we're just not playing Neil and Vivian. We're playing Hugh and Gary. And they, they've got different backgrounds. They're different. It's more interesting to do that. Certainly. Um, let's talk. Let's let's dig a little bit back in terms of the comedy you grew up with, because the, some of the things you listed when we talked before the show 
were pretty interesting. Some things yeah. that have come up that I'm actually annoyed we've never talked about before, like as an as an entire episode. So we've never really covered yet an entire episode of Peter Sellers or an entire episode of Derek and Clive. Um, or so, what are the what are the comedy albums you grew up with, and where did you get them? Were they your parents? Did you get them yourself? Um, my that we used to listen to a program, uh, not listen to, but uh, it was on television called "That Was the Week That Was," uh-huh. uh, which had David Frost um, and a whole bunch of the comedians who had started out with Peter Cook forming the establishment club mm-hmm. it was the satire what was known as the satire boom peter cook alan bennett dudley moore and jonathan miller who became a director um had a show called beyond the fringe mm-hmm. in the 60s early 60s which was quite uh, a revelation and they were asked peter cook was asked to write a uh, a tv format which he did, but he was a fairly impossible character. Um, I worked with him. I knew him a little bit towards the end. He was a wonderful man. Um, but he was, you know, an impossible character. Uh-huh. And so the BBC basically went with David Frost instead, who hosted this satire show, which was revolutionary. And, and um, I remember my parents allowing me to watch it apart from anything else you know this was late night saturday satire um and they were laughing and that's where i i got a sort of taste for for the kind of satire peter cook was doing Mm -hmm. and peter cook Mm -hmm. and dudley moore had a show called not only but also Uh uh-huh where dudley played the piano peter sang with him they used to do a thing at the end now is the time to say goodbye goodbye now is the time to eve Now is the time. You can imagine Dudley more plinking away on the piano. Uh-huh. To bend away until we meet again. Summer sunny day. Goodbye, goodbye. We're leaving you. Goodbye. That's how they used to finish each show. <laughs> oh, my God. Sort of taking the piss out of, you know, they were war wartime babies. You know, they yeah. would have been, they would have heard Vera Lynn and all of that. And they would have been taking the piss out of the, the British sensibility at the time. Of course, Peter Cook was famous for his Macmillan impression. And there was a at the establishment club. He did an impersonation of the Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, mm-hmm. and Harold Macmillan was in the audience <laughs> and had to force a smile and laugh and pretend that he thought it was very entertaining, <laughs> but was deeply hurt. Oh no! Um, and they were they were iconoclastic days in the early sixties. So my first memories are of that, on the one hand, and then uh, around the same time, of course, Peter Sellers was making records. Derek and Clive, which was um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, came when they did Derek and Clive. It was much later. Yeah. At the end of their careers. This was what I've just described at the beginning of their their careers. But at the end of their careers, after Dudley had become the movie star, 
in Hollywood, you know, in Ten and Arthur. Right. And all these films he made where he became a kind of comic romantic lead. He mm-hmm. was the sort of Ben Stiller of his day. Yeah. Um, an Englishman, very small Englishman. He was a very small guy um, who was actually a musician, again, as we were saying. Um, and then he got back with Peter Cook, who, legend has it, was very jealous of Dudley's success in Hollywood. And they got back together again as a double act and recorded Derek and Clive in a studio. And it's a sort of almost like a bullying session, some of it, uh-huh. where Peter is very, he could improvise brilliantly is kind of almost bullying Dudley <laughs> and Dudley gives him, give, gives it back to him because Dudley used to corpse and laugh um, on their TV show. He was easily easy to go. You know, he would just <laughs> giggle uh-huh. and Peter Cook would, would rant, do one of his improvisations. They were very watchable, but yeah. the, the Derek and Clive album um was absolutely shocking because here were these two establishment by then they were establishment comedian figures one of them was even a hollywood movie star Mm -hmm. and the sketches on that Derek and clive album are completely obscene and wild and i just don't think you'd get away with it these days no dudley sweet little dudley (laughs) saying you effing seeing seeing effing (laughs) effing seeing seeing (laughs) just the swear words apart from anything else Uh but the there's one horse racing sketch where i don't know if you you know when the horses are racing the commentator says and tulip is coming up behind so and so and so and so is going on there and then he's overtaken so and so all these the way they comment on the horse races in this country mm-hmm. and uh peter cook does a spoof horse racing commentary but all the horses have obscene names <laughs> so you've got you know penis is coming up behind arsehole and arsehole is penis is now overtaken arsehole <laughs> and it's um it's it's really subversive it's just it, it makes you laugh because they're so rude uh-huh. it's just very very rude <laughs> <laughs> And um, it's like they've been let off their leashes and you're listening to the thing they recorded when drunk at four in the morning. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it was. I'm sure that's what it was. And they put it out instead of it being repressed. They actually put this thing out. And it was a huge hit yeah. in, uh, on vinyl in, in England. I don't know about the U.S. It made its way over here. And I will admit, I think the first person to... I, I think the first people to tell me about it were Americans, so that's a bonus. I didn't I didn't hear it through oh, some right. English source, right, so yeah, right. it made it made it over here enough. Uh, so if you knew who, at least if you knew who Dudley Moore was, which at a certain period, how could you not? Yeah, um, yeah, you, yeah. You know, you, there's a chance you might listen to it. Although I cannot imagine how many old grandmothers got just so desperately upset hearing that after watching anything Dudley Moore did. Well, exactly. There were two <laughs> sides to his, or three mm. sides, or maybe more, to his character. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just very funny hearing the romantic lead of these films <laughs> saying, well, I'll tell you, the worst the worst job I ever had was sticking lobsters up Jane Mansfield's arse. <laughs> and you think... <laughs> this, this, I mean, apart from anything else, it's completely surreal. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also... 
completely unacceptable. I mean, what the <laughs> politicians and people nowadays would say, this is, I'm sorry, this is unacceptable. <laughs> I mean, you cannot talk like that. Mm. And that's, there's a, there's an excitement about the, just the, the naughtiness of it. You know yeah. what I mean? How naughty it is to do that. It, it, it's strange to me that the way that that duality kind of works, you've got one man who career-wise is on top of the world, another man who would love to be, and they both kind of have nothing to lose, but in two totally different ways. You know, Dudley yeah, Moore is just yeah. rich as a king, so it doesn't matter what happens. And then, you know, Peter Cook is like, well, fuck it. I'll, I'll just do what I can here and uh, sit here and insult my best friend. That's kind of it, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I, 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 yeah, he, even on, on, on a late one, I don't know if you've seen it, but they had the cameras on it. And uh, Peter set up a spoof police bust of the studio. <laughs> So the police come in to bust them, um, and Dudley's really scared because it's a, it's properly done, and it's only revealed halfway through that it's been Peter's it's paid actors to come in and pretend that there's a bust going on oh just for God. the improvisational quality of the recording. Oh my and it's, God! It's it's really out of order. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, that is both you know, beautiful and upsetting. Oh, my God. It's, it is upsetting, but it's very funny. <laughs> and Dudley, you know, Dudley can take it. He was, he's the one you, you, uh, you love. Yeah. You know, when you, they used to do not only, but also Peter Cook is extemporizing um, in a very sort of um, almost cruel way. You know, he's very, very sharp. Mm -hmm. and intellectual and Dudley's just sitting there giggling or or you know pulling silly faces and he if it's a competition Dudley wins because he's you know you just love him yeah the audience the audience just you know immediately love him I don't know what it is yeah I'm not sure I mean he's he's tiny he's got he's 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 pretty he's like he's got a, he's got a very elfish looking he's a very handsome man yeah and uh that i mean yeah. that insane laugh doesn't hurt i guess uh, it must have been a perfect combination over here it just it well yeah. world, worldwide yeah. but it was a perfect combination somehow yeah oh, that's very and funny. uh he also had that quality um difficult to define which you see in uh, double act Mm -hmm. thinking of uh if, if you think of stan laurel and ollie hardy just for the just to go back to basics really there's there's a thing where one of them seems to be slightly more spiritually in touch with the eternal uh -huh. and might have a moment of wonder at something or have a you know have a slight connection to something outside their little world yeah and have a have a have a i mean actually with stan and ollie it'd be difficult to know which one of them it was <laughs> mm -hmm. but um there's uh the the actor jim broadbent uh, -huh. uh used to be in a, in a comedy double act originally i did not a comedy know comedy double act uh, um with patrick barlow and patrick barlow uh, who was the bossy one always saying, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And Jim would play the guy going, oh, really? Uh, the slightly slower guy. <laughs> and and <laughs> Patrick would go off and say, I'm going off now. I'm going to leave you there on stage. So whatever you do, please don't touch the chair or whatever. You know, that sort of routine. Yeah. So he goes off and Jim is left there 
and a ballerina comes on. She's about 80. <laughs> and she comes on and starts to do a thing for no reason, out of nowhere. It's a sort of magic moment that he's conjured up a baller, an 80-year-old ballerina out of his imagination. And Jim, the great big clumsy fellow, does a pas de deux with her as if he was Nureyev. <laughs> and it's, it's hilarious. And then the moment Patrick comes back in again to say, what have you been up to? The, the ballerina's disappeared. Um, so it's a flight of fancy. Yeah. But for that moment, you're laughing at Jim for being clumsy and thinking he can be a dancer. But there's also a moment of wonder. You know, there's a moment of, of awe. It's beautiful to see Jim Broadbent, big clumping fellow, dancing with an 80-year-old ballerina and taking it seriously, committing to it. Yeah. And it's a beautiful moment. And, and uh, so the word that I'm looking for that I can't find is, and, and Dudley had that quality of sort of wonder, yeah. which, is, which is what people uh, love when they see it, when they recognize that. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I uh, do. Do you know? Do videos exist of their double act now? Because I really, really, really want to see that. Oh, uh, there probably are. I'll tell you what they were called. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They were they were called the National Theatre of Brent. Okay. Which is, <laughs> and they used to do shows like The Bible, uh-huh. or they did <laughs> they did um, The Messiah. They did The Bible. They did The Roman Empire. They did, you know, massive subjects with just the two of them. Wow. And the occasional 80-year-old um, a, a ballerina or something. But it was, uh, they pretended to be a theatre company of two who were going to put on the whole of Camelot. <laughs> um, the thing is, Jim was only in it for the first couple of two, three years. And then he went on to his great acting career sure and his role in the double act was then taken over so by the time they they got to be probably filming it it might be this other guy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whose name escapes me i can't remember his name um and and uh, patrick carried on doing this national theater of brent for years that's amazing but the early stuff with jim with jim was that kind of yeah, proper double act stuff. One of them's bossy and trying to get everything right, and the other one is dreamy, and you know, a bit a bit slower, but has a sort of connection to to the imagination. Yeah, I've I've never heard anybody quite lay it down in that way, and I I, I like that, and then that's going to be the way I look at double acts now. I think uh, I, <laughs> I, I I love. Well, that. they're not all like that. But, no, but yeah. I, 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 it's it's a nice, it's a different way to look at it than I think, you know, the mo- not that I necessarily look at them all this way, but it's like, oh, who's the skinny one and who's the fat one? There's a lot of, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. a little more complicated than that. And I, I, I like having that perspective. Um, I want to talk a bit about Peter Sellers because, you know, a lot of people have said, I'd like to talk about Peter Sellers on your show, and it just has not come to fruition. So I think we should go over it a little bit. I'm curious, like, yeah. did you grow yeah. up on on the goons at all i mean would it have been goons repeats at this point i'm i'm curious yeah i was just uh the the goons on radio i do remember hearing them Mm -hmm. 
again, my my uh, mum and dad would have had them on the radio. I do remember that, but I was a bit. It was probably the last series or the revival of it mm-hmm. when it was on the radio. Um, and because of the tradition, it had trad jazz band playing in it, mm-hmm. and a lot of the puns and the jokes I didn't understand. Sure. Uh, so it's a little bit early for me. But then they did something called the Telegoons, where they had some puppets, rather uh, like Muppet puppets. Uh-huh. And they did they did the same characters <laughs> with the voices of, of the goons, but as a TV puppet show. And I remember enjoying that. Oh, my God. I used to go around to my mates to see that at sort of Saturday tea time. And I would have been 10 12 so so 53 63 that that was on television by about 64 okay 1964 so so it was already a spent thing it's more a thing of the 50s the goons right but where i picked up with peter sellers was once he started um in the movies he made um and particularly cluzo sure and then having heard that went back and listened to records that my mate his parents had all the early vinyl because peter sellers made quite a lot of vinyl before yes. he became cluzo there's quite a lot of sketches um the one i remember the most that he's most apart from goodness gracious me which comes from the movie goodness gracious me which of course is unacceptable nowadays because he's He's playing an Asian guy, uh-huh. right. um, which which he did uh, twice. Very funny in a film called The Party. He played an Asian guy. Oh, right. Um, which, again, I think these days you, you'd cast an Asian guy, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in those days, it was it was acceptable. I mean, he's very funny in both sure. of those films. Um, but on the Goodness Gracious Me album or around that time, there was a sketch about Balham, um, which will mean nothing to people in the U.S. Uh, it was it was called Balham Gateway to the South, uh-huh. um, and used to crack us up. Um, I'm, you, you need to think of a, Balham as an area of London. It's called Balham, and it's like where the boring office workers would get the train home at night. It's uh, rows of houses. Everyone's got a little trimmed front garden. Mm-hmm. They're walking their dogs. Um, there's nothing interesting about Balham. <laughs> it, it's kind of, it's, I mean, there must be an equivalent area in most um, U.S. cities. I would think so. A suburb of the town. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 and the, you know, Balham is like, it's, it's somewhere you wouldn't, if you wanted to be cool, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm, I, I live in Balham. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. Uh-huh. Um, even now you wouldn't say that with all the <laughs> gentrification that's gone on. So the, the, uh, the sketch that he did was imagining that the Balham tourist board have got a load of money now and they want to sell Balham mm-hmm. to people um, with big music and try and get some tourists going, coming to Balham. Um, so Sellers plays the voiceover artist that they've hired to uh, do this massive advertisement of tourism in Balham. 
<laughs> which starts with huge orchestrations. Bellham, gateway <laughs> to the south. Um, because it's a southern suburb of London. <laughs> and he, go, he goes into all the marvellous things you can do in Balham, um with, <laughs> with this uh, sort of cod American-style voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, and that famous sketch he did, it doesn't, it doesn't sound that strong when you listen back to it now, does <laughs> uh-huh. it? When, when, when I describe it back, it doesn't sound like the most revolutionary comedy but it it absolutely split my sides when i first heard that well i mean if if it's it's what the i'm trying to i looked it up a second ago 40s or 50s i mean that i don't know the the idea of oh okay yeah 58 so the idea of uh, it never hurts to challenge the establishment a bit so i mean uh, the idea that 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 was kind of a hardcore uh satire in the 50s is uh it doesn't surprise me but i kind of want to listen to it now i mean i definitely want to listen to it now but uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, his delivery was what was so amazing as sure. well about him. And there's on that album, there's he used to do songs and escapes my memory. They were to do with all the different characters he played, weren't they? I used to think, wow, he could disguise himself so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you look back at it now, it, it, I'm less impressed than I was when I was young. Okay, at, at the at the different disguises, like even in being there, uh-huh. he, he's still playing the same sort of inhibited uptight guy, isn't he? He always plays that inhibited uptight guy. That's true. And I think I think people do what he used to do better nowadays. I, th- I think he's, he maybe he was he was the first Englishman anyway to be doing that sort of thing, because before that we had you know Norman Wisdom who was uh, over-the-top clowning more, uh-huh. whereas, you know, was our equivalent of sort of Jerry Lewis or something. Right. And Sellers, Sellers was more sort of uptight. Sure. And he was also part of the cool early 60s scene, wasn't he? For sure. And, I mean, I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that he took himself way too seriously. <laughs> so it becomes, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, possibly possibly also seriously yeah. m- mentally, you know, ha- having some problems. I mean, if, if the stories are to believe, and I mean, that's true for a lot of actors. Yeah. Not, no no I've judgment. Read a, I've read a, a, a few books about him. I think he, 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 you know, I think he was a difficult fellow. Yeah. But that early explosion of his of his uh, talent, you know, from the goons into the movies. The thing when he's first Clouseau, he's walking along the street trying to be cool mm-hmm. with his truncheon, and he hits himself in the eye with his own truncheon. <laughs> and it's the retrieval. It's always his retrieval that is so funny. Yeah, He hits himself in the eye, but instead of doing a sort of um, pain or a reaction, he pretends... That that's what he meant to do, yeah. And that's what's funny. It's like when he he gets out of the car, the car draws up to the big hotel when he's going to do his investigations as Gluso, and he gets out the door, but he gets out the wrong side where the fountain is and falls straight into the fountain. <laughs> but instead of going, oh my god, I'm wet like Oliver Hardy would, and go wah wah wah, do you know what I mean? He uh-huh. doesn't do that. He stands up as if to say, yeah. I, that, that's what detectives are meant to do. They're meant to get out of there. I did. I'm perfectly okay. Don't worry about me. And that's, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he walks out the door. You know, he's just having done his big investigation 
of the possible criminals, mm-hmm. like a Poirot-style investigation. He walks, but he uses the wrong side of the door and walks and hurts his nose for walking straight into the wall. <laughs> and he turns around and says, words to the effect of, I think you need a new architect. <laughs> you know, the door was in the wrong place for my, it's the ego of the, of mm-hmm. the character. It's so funny. Yeah. Is the, I'm, boy, <laughs> I'm actually, so the third, the third artist that you said that you'd like to talk about actually surprised me because nobody, I never know what's reached the UK. Just as, as you know, you, we've both been talking. You're like, I don't know if you, you've heard of this particular person. And uh, I didn't know what impact Bob Newhart had, but you listened to Bob Newhart's album. So were they there or, like around the same time we were getting them? Or were they coming? If you know, I don't know. I don't. When were you getting them? Let's see. So his first album came out in 1960. Um, so. Uh, and then, like the successive ones came we, out, like one a year for a while. But so the the one that I can remember is the one with the Infinite Monkeys, yes, and the Walt, the Walter Raleigh tobacco sketch mm-hmm. and the driving instructor, yeah. And I would have been seven in nineteen sixty. Uh-huh. So it, it, I was not seven when I heard all that. I must have been at least. 11 or 12 so we were probably getting them three four years later Uh uh-huh i'm guessing makes sense yeah and it was a revelation because we'd not heard that um what is it you know there's a thing with uk comedians that you have to somehow be self-deprecating yes you have to somehow you have to somehow preempt any envy (laughs) that you might that might come your way so you have to pretend that you're not pleased with yourself you know that you you have to sort of somehow deflect envy yeah is it putting it bluntly mm-hmm. whereas an Amer- american comedian will come out and they're supposed to be smart they're, yeah. they're supposed to be that's you know you're meant to be smart whereas a uk comic if you if you come out in those days particularly and and, and you're smart people will say oh who do you think you are hoity-toity yeah um and so the first time i heard smart comedy you know somebody being smart was um bob newhart on that album and it was my grandfather who got it who was a very staid old chap Mm -hmm. you know in his cardigan it it really surprised me to hear him and he never smiled he never laughed and he he put on this he he loved gilbert and sullivan Uh uh-huh and he had all those records. And then he put on this Bob Newhart record when we were staying with him one summer. And that was extraordinary to see my granddad creasing up, <laughs> um, uh, who was a very sort of strict old, you know, old chap in my eyes. Yeah. So obviously I got him wrong. But the, the sketch, you know, the infinite monkeys <laughs> became in the family like a sort of catchphrase, you know. Hang, hang on, I think I got something. Uh, to be or not to be, that is the Gazornan Platt. <laughs> and, you know, that word Gazornan Platt has sort of stuck with me <laughs> ever since. Everybody, everybody who's heard that, you know, people know what you're talking about if you say, oh, Gazornan Platt. Uh-huh. Um, and the and the 
the, uh, the the Walter Raleigh one when he's saying, don't tell me, you roll it up, you set fire <laughs> to it, and you stick it in your mouth. Go on, tell me. And uh, it still makes me laugh now. I think he was he was very slick and smart, wasn't he? We yeah. never really got his television series until late, much later. Much oh, later. really? Interesting. I, yeah. And over here, I mean, I would consider that a, a groundbreaking. I mean, it's one of my favorites. Now, I'm not old enough to have seen it in its original run, but when I finally got to see it on repeats, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, I grew up with his second series. He's smart, isn't it? It's so smart. And to grow up with his first, he, he, yeah, it's uh, if I had, I mean, if I had grown up with his first, the great thing about that show too is that it's it's got this thing that it could have been a really crappy gimmicky show because you know at least for the first season every episode starts with a phone call like it starts with his gag and it's like I don't this could be really crap but he pulls it off and the character is wonderful and he's a better actor than a lot of people give him credit for too for playing kind of the same guy every time yeah, he does it yeah. brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, that was a, in a way, he was the first, certainly, that we got over here who was doing that. I can be um, myself mm -hmm. in a show with people around me, you know. Right. We didn't really have that. Right. I can be the, 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 I am the person who talks, but I've got characters and actors around me being my family or my office or whatever, you know. Yeah. Which nowadays is quite uh, quite a lot of shows do that, but he was the first. I was I was very lucky to work in Los Angeles with a guy called Dave Merkin, uh -huh. who who I believe wrote and produced quite a lot of those shows mm -hmm. for for Bob Newhart, the later series. Yeah, and he he was very much into British comedy. And he made a pilot with, in the pilot season one year, 30 years ago, we're talking. Uh, he, he got the format for the young ones and he wrote a new script setting it in the States. Okay. Uh, but he hired me to play Neil. Yes. Okay. I remember hearing. Yes. Okay. I think we've, we might've discussed and this on a previous called, show. Yeah. It was called, Oh No, Not Then. Okay. And um, it never went to series. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I can't even remember if it was any good. But <laughs> he was uh, he was a great guy. I really enjoyed working for him. Um, but he came off the, the Merkin show to do that. And the title sequence is awesome as they say nowadays, <laughs> the title sequence is actually, this is just before The Simpsons uh -huh. ever started. And the title sequence is the, the characters from The Young Ones in Claymation with music by Danny, oh, who's the guy who does the music for The Simpsons? Uh, and he also did Beetle. Oh, Danny Beetle Elfman, Juice yeah. And, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, yeah. So this was early on, and it almost looks, the title sequence is, like the Simpsons, they're, they're coming and they all end up on the sofa mm -hmm. watching television. All the little, uh, they weren't cartoons, they were claymation figures. Um, and it was called Oh No, Not Them. I don't know why they changed the title from the young ones to Oh No, Not Them. Uh -huh. um, and it had some, it had some good people in it, but I was the only Englishman. And yeah. they wanted, they thought, I suppose they thought an English hippie 
is a is a sort of stereotype that the American audience will buy. Uh huh. Whereas the other weird weird characters, they'll you know they won't understand the other the other characters. Okay. So they made more American types. Okay. Um, and cast other actors. Um. But yeah, it was lucky. I was yeah, it was good to work with Dave Merkin and hear all his stories. You know. I I bet. My God, have you have you had? And now I'm curious of any of the people we've spoken about. Have you ever through your career had an opportunity to meet any of them? I mean. Peter Sellers, not likely. That would have been a little, almost. No, right. I yeah. never met Sellers. I met Dudley Moore once briefly uh-huh. at some do or other. Didn't really get to talk to him, but I did actually meet him. I'm six foot three, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he was he was a small guy. Um. Uh, but I did know, as I say, I knew, I knew Peter Cook reasonably well, not not uh-huh. very well, but I, I met him on several occasions, and there was a period of two weeks, no, a month when we were working together on a film, staying on location hotels together, um, on a film called Yellowbeard, which yes. was a sort of sub-Monty Monty Python film mm-hmm. uh, by Graham Chapman and Bernard, forgotten his last name, Bernard somebody. Um, and, uh, yeah, Peter Cook was um, brilliant. I mean, what a, what a privilege to be sitting around of an evening in the hotels listening to him sounding off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and of course on that film was it was marty feldman's last film oh right yeah he was with us in mexico and peter boyle yeah was on it and cheech and chong it's amazing although i didn't get to meet them there but they're in the film uh-huh graham chapman and of course i was sharing my caravan trailer with eric idle because uh, I was I was playing his assistant. Amazing. I can't think of any other. I'm sure there were loads of. Oh, John Cleese was on it. I I know John reasonably well. Mm-hmm. I've I've sort of worked for most of the Pythons. Uh-huh. I, I know all of the Pythons, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We at one point we shared an office with them when we were the comic strip oh. for a very brief period of time. We would they they let us use their upstairs attic room in in soho when we were first starting out as the comic strip yeah i'm now uh and i'm now doing the math though you would have been how much python were you watching growing up because that's that seems like perfect timing oh yeah absolutely that's the yeah that was exactly uh my general they're about um i don't know how old are they now they're, they're probably about 10 years older than me right so it would have been perfect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's they, a... I, I was sort of fifty from fifteen onwards. I yeah. was watching Python. Oh, that's good. Were you listening to the albums? Yes, it was, and reading the books. They were pretty much a craze. Yeah. I I always ask because I, I I I have an unpopular opinion that I happen to like the albums more than I do the 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 show. I love the show. I'm passionately in love with the show, but I tend to like the albums more for some reason. And I, I'm, I'm always curious to talk to people about the albums if they have a. Ah, right. I'm. I can't really help you there because I wouldn't be able to differentiate which album I've seen and which bit of the series. I'm sure. more likely to have seen all of the episodes of the show. Right. Um, and 
will have listened to the albums at some point, but mm-hmm. not not again and again. If sure. you see what I mean, and of course, yeah. Not to differentiate them. Did you uh, uh really quick back to Bob Newhart? So did you only hear that when you went to visit your grandfather, or did you end up having it in the house? No, we ended up having it in the house. It became really uh, popular with me and my brothers, my younger brother more than my older brother, which means, yes, it must have been when my older brother went to college, so 18, so, yeah, I would have been 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my younger brother, uh, yeah, we had the album, I can remember it. I can remember the cover, it's a sort of orange, small photograph of him grinning out, sitting in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My goodness. Uh, let's see. So we have, we've talked about Peter Sellers. We've talked about Bob Newhart. We've talked about, uh, Derek and Clive. Are there any other, uh, albums worth, worth mentioning that you, uh, comedy albums you grew up listening to? Well, yeah. When you, when you consider one to be grown up, Mm -hmm. you said that I grew up listening to, I mean, in my twenties, if you take it forward now to my, you know, to my early twenties, mid twenties, I was listening, I had, um, I've given all my vinyl away now, Mm -hmm. I wish I hadn't, Um, but I had a big, um, I had a Lenny Bruce album, and I had a double Woody Allen album, Uh so by my mid-twenties, just when we were starting the London Comedy Store, and the comic strip clubs, um, I was listening to stand-up comedy by then, yeah, Although I wasn't a stand-up comic so much as a you know character comedian and in a double act with yeah. Peter Richardson, uh-huh. um, but nevertheless that was that was the rage then when we started the comedy store there was a a sudden uh, you know a sudden rage for people to go into stand-up comedy which hadn't existed so much before it had in northern clubs uh-huh. a certain type. In, in 1980, we, we, a whole group of us um, started the Comedy Store. Um, we, uh, myself and Peter Richardson, who went on to become the producer of the Comic Strip series and club, um, we started the Comedy Store up. Um, and so there was a craze for stand-up comedy. So I, I would have been listening to Lenny Bruce and listening to Woody Allen. Uh, our... our club comedy store was meant to be non-sexist non-racist comedy because so much of what was on television at the time in england was either racist or sexist yeah um so the idea was to be an alternative comedy and there were some wacky acts some weird people who did nude balloon dancing (laughs) and somebody who put fireworks up his ass and (laughs) set fire light to them there were some wacky acts there was us, the character double act, mm-hmm. uh, which included Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson, myself and Peter Richardson, Alexi Sale, who became mm-hmm. the, uh, Jertsey Belosky and the Young Ones, a comedian called Arnold Brown, and of course, Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders, who did absolutely fabulous yeah. later on. Jennifer Saunders did. And, um, and French and Saunders, which I think you get on PBS. I, I did grow up on that one. Yeah, there's a whole gang of us at the comedy store, and stand-up became the, and it still is now in this country, stand-up people take very seriously, 
my comedy they call it my comedy my stand-up mm-hmm. and it, it, it's big business now it yeah. wasn't then um it was a bunch of people starting a rather seedy club up <laughs> um but we used to get visits f- at the comedy store and the comic strip from robin williams wow he'd turn up we didn't have more Mindy mm. on the telly at that point yeah but he was already huge in the states and he'd turn up he said to try out new material yeah um i don't know if he was trying new material or just <laughs> getting off on doing all his old material with people <laughs> who'd never heard it before but um but he didn't half go on for, for ages you know you'd have a bill where people were you know a running order we'd say oh here's the guest the guest tonight from the states and um that was an uphill thing because uh, american comedians weren't popular at the time mm-hmm. i can't think why but they weren't anyway he won them over immediately yeah and used to do a 50 minute set or something making everyone very tired because you only <laughs> meant to do about 20 20 minutes uh-huh. um but he was he was amazing and he couldn't stop you know when he came off he he had what we call comics disease <laughs> when you know he couldn't stop making jokes and being funny and doing all of that <laughs> he, he, he's still putting on the voices still doing the stuff oh um God. in fact peter and i once he came off stage we didn't know who who the hell he was he'd just done 50 amazing blinding minutes at the comedy store and he, you know, we all thought, right, where should we go on? And I had heard that there might be a party actually near Ballam, as it happened. <laughs> uh, down, and um, I had a car at the time used to drive. Um, so I said, oh, well, let's go and see if we can find a party to go to. I knew a bloke who said there was an address. It was one of those things. And so we drove right down into the sort of, worser quarters of london and we and it was we're now talking you know two or three in the morning and we we found this estate with a very small flat and the party had obviously kind of finished (laughs) some hours ago and there were some junkies lying around on the floor and a record scratched record and two people standing up asleep (laughs) <laughs> and of you know no drink left but it, it looked fairly um it didn't look pretty yeah. it, put it, like that. <laughs> it wasn't very pretty and the door was sort of hanging open off the hinge that kind of a party that kind of an ex party uh-huh. and poor old uh mr williams hanging around at the door thinking really am i going in there i'm done he hung around so we said oh, okay we'll we'll we won't go in here this isn't for us um i'll drive you back to your hotel where you're staying he said oh it's up in the center of london so we drove back up into the center and we got closer and closer and where is what you mean right up on he, he couldn't remember the name of the street or the hotel or whatever and i'm saying <laughs> what oh you you mean park lane by Hyde Park Corner, right? Oh, that's so it's going to be. Well, it's going to be quite a big hotel you're staying because uh-huh. we just thought he was another stand-up comedian like mm-hmm. us. And then he said, "Oh no, here it is. That's it. Turn right here. Oh, what you're staying at the Inn on the Park, <laughs> right? Okay." And um, 
he walked in and sort of, you know, the uniformed concierge saluted him as he, <laughs> you know, all of that. We thought, who was that guy? <laughs> and we only found out the, day, the next day that we'd just taken poor Robin Williams oh, to, a... Um, to a dive, you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, there, there are some comics for whom take, getting taken to a dive, being that famous, would be the perfect moment, but he need, seems like he needed an audience at all times. So I guess that's the only... <laughs> I th- yeah, I think so. It wasn't that kind of a dive. It uh-huh. was a it, it was a no hope, uh, <laughs> you know, half a horsepower. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, and it looked like there had been or would soon be a police bust. Do you know, <laughs> it looked like that kind of a that kind of a scenario. Oh, that's amazing. So. <laughs> um. Uh. Well. Here's normally at the end of an episode, I will say why why listen to this album? But we listen we listen to a variety of uh, we talked about a variety of different albums. We don't need to necessarily recommend yeah. one, and we have thoroughly recommended in the past Bad News and Neil's Heavy Concept album. So I can at least personally well, attest, thank you for that. People yeah. need to listen to them both. I, wait, are they actually? I should ask you. Are they available digitally on CD, or are we going to have to hunt for vinyl? I'm actually not sure. Uh, no, you can get Neil's Heavy Concept album on on uh, digital on a CD um, uh, on Esoteric Records. Okay. Um, that was only out last year, the year before. Quite recent release. Hmm. Um, with some new, more material on it, and you know, quite a nice release that was. Mm-hmm. And the bad news, I think you can get it on. I'm not sure with the bad news, but you say bad news album, but there are two bad. Oh news yes, albums. correct. Thank you. We we only talked about one the one, but yes. Yeah, the one is the main one, and then we found because we'd been improvising for six weeks in the studio mm-hmm. that there was a lot of extra absolute rubbish material. <laughs> Um, which Adrian particularly spent weeks and weeks editing together, and it's another funny album. It's it's a bit different because it's much more anarchic. Uh-huh. The first album at least obeys some kind of structure, <laughs> but the bootleg album is just crazy. But it's it's worth a listen. <laughs> is it only the first one produced by Brian May? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was what was that? I mean, if you want to talk about the experience, what was that like? I mean, Queen's like my top two favorite bands of all time. I think a lot of people feel that way. I'm just curious what it was. I mean, him working on a comedy album is interesting to me. It was, um, yes, it is a strange concept, isn't it? Uh-huh. And I, I think to him, the idea, he, he was very respectful, strangely, of of us, uh, more respectful than we are of ourselves, uh-huh. um, to, to the idea that we would be in character. All right. So, so he we went a very expensive studio. We got them to pay for Sam West, proper studio, as if we were the real band. Mm-hmm. And he left the microphones on, so we stayed in character through the recording process for weeks. Wow! And so there was tons of spoken material, wow. some of which has ended up on the album, and it's incredibly funny because it's just crazy stuff. That's a good and comedy he, instinct to have. Well, it, it was in a way, but it's it, it surprised us because you would have thought he would say, oh, can you put me a sketch there and I'll fit it in yeah. in between this. And he also respected our inability to play music properly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and he didn't seem to mind. I mean, I don't know if you've heard our version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh-huh. It's awful. Uh-huh. I it's, love it. It's, 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 it's terrible. Um, and he didn't seem to mind that. He he was okay with that. That's amazing. That's a good he sense was a of pretty, humor. He was a pretty good comedy producer, really, Surpri- yeah. which is surprising. Oh, because in good. many respects, I then worked with him for, for some years on the show We Were Rock You. I oh, was right. in the original yeah. cast of that, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to see another side of him. He took that, you know, he's a very serious, hardworking, and, you know, quite didactic about what he wants and uh-huh. doesn't want. I think he was taking a holiday with us, <laughs> and, you know, just thought, let's let's just, you know, let's just see what we get. Yeah. I think it must have been a nice experience for him. That's amazing. Dr. Brian May, comedy producer. That is... Uh... Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Uh-huh. Uh, this has been a delight and I, I'll, I'll just already say I would love to have you back on if you ever want to and I just hit the microphone uh, I'd love to have you back on if you if you're ever interested um, is there is there any this is gonna come out in a few weeks um, is there anything that you need to promote or tell people where to find you um, actually now you come to mention it mm-hmm. uh, there is and it's in the area of audio stuff mm-hmm. um, I've written a four hour time travel comedy drama uh which i'm in as well playing the baddie uh-huh it's called jeremiah born in time like jason born uh-huh but it's jeremiah born in time mm-hmm. uh because he was jeremiah was born in another time <laughs> and he doesn't realize it yet mm-hmm. um it's set in london um and he he has an ability to travel in time he travels back to 1910 but he doesn't know how he does it <laughs> and he's, he tries to work out what it is he's doing that's doing it amazing um and there's a lot of um uh, quite there's a quite a harsh adventure about eugenic scientists uh-huh. in 1910 so there's it's quite an exciting story as well that's amazing um and you and you can get it on audible oh perfect and it's um it's uh, got, we've got an amazing cast. Um, Principal, uh, well, I'm in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yep. Um, no, uh, <laughs> Tim McInerney, mm-hmm. the guy who played Percy and Darling in Blackadder, mm-hmm. he plays Roger Standish, um, who's a, who's um, the sort of Lord figure in 1910. Okay. Sophie Sophie Thompson. Um, who's a great comedic actress, uh, Emma Thompson's sister, playing Roger's sister, mm-hmm. Phyllis. Phyllis and um, Celia Imry, who I don't know if you have seen over there. Like all, a pick of the comedy actors and actresses of England mm-hmm. uh, are working in this, in my audio drama. But it it's, um, yeah, do give it a listen. It's 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 a departure for me to be doing an actual sort of story drama uh-huh. you know a, 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 an adventure story like it it's it's because i did uh, doctor who um i did the live doctor who show uh-huh playing vorgensen and i got i got sort of all excited about the the idea of that kind of comedy because yeah. it is there is comedy in that right uh, an adventure story that's got comedy in it and so this is my take on that that's amazing 
So, okay, so that's on Audible. Um, you're you're on Twitter at Nigel Planer One. That's right. Tell people yeah. that. Um, let's see. And then what's uh? Is there is it worth going to your website? Some people don't bother to update their website. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, mine's mine's fairly updated. Yeah. All right. It's not, it's not bad. Yeah. NigelPlaner.co.uk. Yeah, no, it is worth going. Yeah, I I write a lot of uh, travel pieces. There's lots of travel stuff in there. Wonderful. And there's a sort of resume of what what the news is. Yeah, it is updated. Yeah, it is updated regularly. That's wonderful. I'm um, not saying it's the most exciting website <laughs> you've ever been to. Most of it's it so exists, funny. If, if and you, it is updated. If you ask comedians, usually like, oh, don't bother. It's not updated. So I just thought I would ask you the, the, the opposite question. Should we bother going to your website? And you made, I think, a strong yeah. argument. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, there's enough stuff in there. There's interest. There's little... There's uh, what I like to put on there is the slightly more peculiar things that maybe, you know, that aren't mainstream. Right. That I do. I get up to a lot of strange stuff, you know, as well. Um, I don't I... mean, <laughs> I don't mean on the dark web. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, just things that people might not expect me to be doing, you know. Right. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I, I, I could have done this for an extra two hours, but I'm not going to do that to you. Brilliant. Well, it's very nice to talk to you. It was and, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Anytime. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. If you got this far, blimey. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Music